Hi folks. Before we get into this episode, I just want to take a moment to do some acknowledgements. See, this podcast went live two days ago, and in that time, it has racked up a decent number of downloads. I won't share the exact number because no pressure or anything, but I'm very humbled and very pleased with the uh, fact that people are actually taking the time to listen to this thing. And I know that some of you have not only listened, but subscribed. And that's fantastic. See, subscribing is the best way to make sure that you're always going to get the content as it comes out. So for those of you who have listened and subscribed, hats off to you. I salute you big time. And for those of you who have listened, but haven't subscribed, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? This isn't a game. Get your head out of there. Come on. Straighten out and fly right. to that beat, that tight, crisp backbeat. You know, we often don't pay enough attention to the guy sitting at the back of the band, laying down the rhythm, keeping the band in time, and enforcing a solid groove. But we should. Drums are a very important part of most styles of music. Well, my guest today is a drummer and a very good one at that. I should know, I've played with him, I've heard him many times, both in gigs and on recordings. And that makes sense because he does a lot of both of those things. He is a gigging machine, he is a recording machine as well, who has done session work, ghosting work, and a variety of other types of work. He is a professional drummer. That's what he does, and he does it well. And he does it all over the place. He has played professionally in Vermont and significantly in New York City as well. It's pretty cool. Oh, and he also is the one playing right now. So what you're listening to, that is my next guest, Ian Kohler. Let's welcome him. So Ian, welcome. Joe, it's great to see you again, man. How have you been? I'm good. How are you? I can't complain. It's uh it's a it's a beautiful day down here and uh a little cool, but uh, I got a chance to uh, you know, do my thing. So, um, you know, really enjoying uh this opportunity to uh you know, chat again and and uh, do our thing again. Awesome, man. So, where are you living these days? I'm still in Vermont. Um, you know, yep. it's it's a really nice area. Um, and I'm only a day, I'm only a day's drive from New York and Boston. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a generally easy commute. Um, you know, if I have work down there and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And also, like I, you know, we'll get into this a little, a little later too. Um, 
or now. Uh, the wedding scene here is really, really good. Um, oh, I would bet. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know that um, you know, the last time I saw you was at your wedding, and, and it was a beautiful setting. And, and you know, it's just it's a, it's a really nice scene here for that, um, for a musician as well. So I've kind of maintained, you know, both, um, you know, for financial reasons. And, you know, my family is here too. So, you know, I, I thought it would be nice to, to stay here as much as I can. Yeah, it's not exactly cheap living in New York. No, and and I was in in the spring of 2012, 11-ish. Um, I was in uh, northern New Jersey, um, and I had an uncle who was there, uh, and that was when I was doing a lot of, uh, you know, different work down there. And Yeah, it's expensive. It's really expensive. I think the last time I looked, you were lucky to find a two-bedroom apartment or a studio apartment for you know, under $1,200 a month. And that's, oh, if yeah. you have a, that's if you have a view of a brick wall. So, right, you know. Exactly. That's, that's a hellhole apartment. I mean, it was funny. One of the guys I, I did a record with recently, we stayed at, uh, you know, he had me to go, you know, he had me down there um, for the last thing we did together. And we stayed at his parents' place, which is on 86th and Park Avenue. So I asked, his, I, asked I said, you know, just out of curiosity, you know, like how much did they pay for this place? Like this place is gorgeous. You know, overlooking Central Park, and you're right on the four line. I could be at Yankee Stadium in ten minutes, and it was, oh, three million. I'm like, oh wow, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Just to put it in perspective, you know, they have a doorman. Hello, Mr. Kohler. Welcome. It's like, oh, you know, it. You know, yep. here, let let me get your elevator for you. You know, so it's a completely different world. But yeah, I've kind of stayed. Um, in Vermont, which is where I spent a lot of my, my later years. Um, and you know, it's been nice. I mean, I, I look out my studio window and I can see, you know, the lake across the street and, um, you know, I'm, I'm about 30 minutes outside of Burlington. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we both grew up in Vermont, so, you know, we know what it's like, but just, uh, absolutely. Maybe for listeners who aren't familiar, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the Vermont scene? Like, are you still doing a lot of stuff in Vermont? And by the way, we're going to get to the whole COVID-19 situation. We'll definitely be talking about that. But Oh, yeah, now, that's that's going to be interesting. Um, yeah. For now, let's just pretend that that doesn't exist. Let's pretend we're back in 2019. So talk a little bit about the Vermont music scene, if you can, because I know you've, well, you've done a lot of stuff there as well. And, and I will say this. I think even with the COVID thing, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. Oh, sure. It's just it's just going to take a little bit of time. Um, and because Vermont is a smaller scene and there's a lot of smaller clubs, um, you know, I think we'll be able to actually go back to gigging sooner than I would, uh, say, if I was in New York at a club down there. Um, but, yes. That's about, true. Vermont also wasn't hit as hard. Not even, not even close. Um, but as of three months ago... <laughs> As we're recording this. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, um, I mean, a typical day for me would be wake up, um, go to my my friend's diner, um, you know, stop at the music store, say hello to some folks. Um, And then I would teach, you know, three to four lessons, um, you know, to just, you know, uh, students in the in the area, you know, high school kids or stuff like that. Um, Sure. And then I would either run to a rehearsal or go play my gig that night at some club or, 
you know, uh, you know, do this, you know, maybe do a recording session. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Burlington scene has a ton of unbelievably talented players, um, which it really you know, does. It really does. And, and I mean, I can think of, you know, man, 20 guys off the top of my head that'll absolutely blow your socks off that if they were in any other bigger city and were slightly more discovered, they could hang with, with the best players in New York, LA and Nashville. Um, and you know, unfortunately, there are less clubs that are worth playing in Burlington than there were maybe 10 years ago. Um, but I'm a big believer in that the cream rises and, you know, the good players will always work. And for the most part, we do. And it's a pretty tight-knit community. You know, um, there are some clubs, you know, that kind of struggle with the financial aspect of things. And so that kind of – that can spoil things. Um, but at the end of the day, there's a really nice cream of the crop, you know, maybe half a dozen to a dozen really good clubs downtown that okay. are just doing a fantastic business. Um, and their business model is great. They focus on music. And, you know, yeah, there's a handful of us that can, you know, play, you know, three to four nights a week and then go play our weekend jobs, which are gen- which generally is outside of town. Mm. Okay. So a lot of people are, are doing the commute and, and, and heading out during the weekend, going to bigger places, going to Boston, yep. going to New York. Yep. Um, I mean, to some, you know, to some extent. Um, I mean, I I am finding myself doing a lot of work outside of Vermont. Um, but this past summer, twenty nineteen, was really filled with doing weddings. Um, okay. so that normally consisted of a full day of you know you show up before anybody shows up you set up um and then you change into your suit and you sit around for hours um yep. and and then you know you start you know what i call stirring the pot playing brushes you know playing stuff like moon dance and moon river and stuff like that well sure you know grandma and grandpa and aunt you know aunt betty and <laughs> uncle jim are 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 having their salads um you know and then yeah and then you know we take a break um and you know starting at about seven o'clock eight o'clock we're kicking off you know brown eyed girl and how sweet it is and september by earth wind and fire and all this stuff and then people are dancing until 10 and then you know we're breaking down you know and out of there by midnight you know and that can be in a tent or you know around vermont here at least we have a lot of really historical buildings that people like to have weddings in um You know, so what, you know, that's usually uh, all said and done, close to a 12-hour day. You know, you're getting there at 3, and then you're getting home at sometimes 3, depending on where it is. My last wedding I did in February was down in Woodstock, which is two hours from my house, so. Yep. But Very touristy those, town, that. Yep. But they're very lucrative, and, and I'm, I'm an open book, you know, Um Weddings are uh, in this particular band is is a five hundred and fifty dollar deal, you know. So you're getting paid well, you know, to play, and that's five fifty for one night, you know. So if you yeah, if you good. if you can do you know a Friday Saturday, um, or more commonly for weddings at least a Saturday Sunday, yeah, you're making good good mm-hmm. good coin. 
um, at the same time, uh, you know, you're also balancing that with, you know, other other gigs and other work. Okay. So do you play with a wedding band or is it just a band that does weddings sometimes? It's it's a wedding band and it's through an agency called Best Bands. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, small plug, bestbands.com. If you're in the area, you know, the, the greater Vermont, New England area, um, you know, that and probably Roadshow are the two main booking agencies. And then, you know, I mean, these are bands that specialize in this kind of thing. So, you know, we're going to know a lot of material. And I mean, for that, because you never know kind of what people are going to request, you kind of have to know and be able to pull out of your butt like 300 tunes, you know. So it could be like, oh, Aunt Margaret wants to hear what I like about you by the Romantics. It's like, well, shoot, I haven't played that song in two and a half (laughs) years. Well, I remember there's that, you know, got, 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 got thing. Okay, all right, I think I got that. Oh, don't forget the harmonica solo in there. You know, and <clears throat> so we'll kind yep. of put that together. And, I mean, that that even happens on the breaks sometimes. We're like, you know, oh, the father of the bride really wants to hear Shower the People by James Taylor. We haven't played that song in <laughs> God knows how long. Um, but Mark knows it. <laughs> and this is the key and you know so i would literally go like to my car with my ipod and my airpods or my phone and my airpods and be like shit how does this one go again all right it's a halftime feel all right cool you know and you just kind of bs your yeah. way through it but but yep. but the father of the bride is that's, that's like the best moment of the night we played the song he wanted to hear with his daughter who just got married and it's like you know and in a lot of ways like you know, we have to learn first dances and we have to learn mother and son, father and daughter dances. And like, these are going to be moments they remember forever. So I better not drop a stick and I really better not come in <laughs> a bar early because, you know, that hasn't happened before, you know. But, you know, you, you, you better not come in like, you know, a bar early with a big drum fill or something like, you know, and, and don't play too loud during the dinner set because, you know, you don't want to you know, peeve off the mother of the, you know, the mother of the groom or something, because the drums are really loud, you know. So it's kind of a balancing act, especially when you play those those kind of special days, you know, and and it's something that I know a lot of musicians may not think about, but it's certainly, uh, you kind of have to be mindful of that, you know. And I started doing this stuff as a sub, too, so I wasn't even in the band, you know, mm. this was with like a different band, you know, but I would go in as a sub and start doing this kind of stuff, you know, and I, I had stepped on my foot a few times, you know, where I tell like an off color joke and it's kind of like, oh, you know, you might have offended the grandmother. It's like, oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> you know, you know, so, it, <laughs> you know, you kind of have to know how to act on, on, on those things and, you you know, be professional and, you know, dress nice yeah, that, and, that... you know, try not to. Try not to spill beer on your tuxedo, you know, that kind of stuff. That's the kind of gig that really calls for a level of professionalism. You can't be you can't be a diva, you can't be a rock star. You you're, you're there to make you're there for, for someone else. Oh, I mean, yeah. You know, you're there to I make mean, the family happy. Yeah, and you know, you have to control other things that are around. Um, you know, I mean obviously, you know, you and I before this agree not to name names, but I mean I know guys who have had to get fired off those gigs because they can't control themselves. You know, and really off wedding gigs. Yeah. You know, and it's wow. and, and again, you know, so the, the the lowest I've ever been paid to play somebody's wedding is four hundred. Okay. So you think about mm-hmm. that over the course of a weekend, you know, or the over the course of a summer, 
You know, you're making a lot of money, you know, just by playing on a Saturday in a field somewhere for somebody's special day. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, know, it's very customary to tip the band afterwards. So that's added income. Um, you know, so mm. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a lucrative gig, but it also comes with you have to be professional, you have to show up on time, and dear God, do not play too loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's especially for a drummer. I mean, I know a lot of drummers have a hard time with that, and I'm happy to say from experience, you're not one of them. But yeah, a lot of drummers, uh, especially younger ones, um, struggle with the controlling the volume. And you know, drums is a loud instrument, but you know, there's always a way. To play quieter. Yeah, I mean, I you know, um, and that was something I learned really quickly from a teacher that you and I both shared, actually, um, the late Cam Cross, who oh, yeah. was an unbelievable, you know, for those of who, uh, those of you who have were not blessed by his presence, boy, that guy was not afraid to kick your ass if if yep. if you know you were playing too loud and, and and playing too many notes and stuff like that you know and he drilled me on my reading which helped you know um you know and and that was you know learning to play with intensity but also be able to play quiet was something i learned playing with you in the in in the big bands you know playing in the jazz yep. big bands you know um gosh about 12 years ago you know but i mean yeah you learn yep. you know we learned quick you know, and, and it, yeah, you, you know, there were times where, you know, especially in those rooms that are really vibrant and really big and mm-hmm. drums do not go well in those rooms, <laughs> you know, so I had learned to play real yeah, quiet. Yeah, you have to really play with restraint. Like I, you know, two years ago, actually just this past year, I had to make a stick change, you know, because, you know, the drumstick I was using previously, while it was great and felt great in the hands, I couldn't play soft with it. You know, I, I couldn't go mm. in and do a hotel jazz gig or play. I had to, like, carry, like, four or five different pairs of sticks in my bag, which is annoying. Or not different pairs. I always have plenty. But uh, models, you know, that were that were th- yeah, some yeah. thinner, some thicker. Um, right. And my friend... Different kinds of sticks. Yeah. My, one of my friends who plays on Broadway um, came out. He recently designed a signature stick. And... Um, I went in and, and met up with him in the city, and he said, hey, you know, try these. I designed these. They're, you know, check them out. Well, I, I ended up using them, and I, uh, I found myself being able to play. So that week I got them. I played a hotel jazz gig. Then I played a blues gig where we're pumping shuffles, and then I went and played a gig with a country artist where, where we're playing with backing tracks and click and all that stuff. And I, I got to the end of the third gig and realized, like, wow, I use the same pair of sticks on – this gig like these last three gigs that were completely different that i would have had to like mess around with equipment so you know find find equipment out there that's versatile enough that you can do what you need to do with it because if you are able to do that um you're gonna have a much easier time you know being a chameleon on 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 the drums um you know and I, i would imagine the same goes for guitar you know yeah, it's hard to find equipment that's versatile, especially, you know, electric guitars and, and amps. It's hard to find, you know, one that will work for, for every gig. Yeah. Uh, but when you do, you got to kind of... Yeah, and, I, and I'm really glad that I stumbled upon this drumstick. Um, and um, it'll be out, hopefully, within the next... Hopefully, this calendar year, even though uh, Promark is not making sticks right now, they're making face shields and other stuff. 
Um, <laughs> but I, I do know that um, this stick I'm using, um, which is the Carter McLean signature stick from Promark, uh, will be available okay. at the end of, hopefully the end of this year. Um, and actually I was able to order, pre-order more. Um, so I have them. But, uh, but yeah, uh, they're awesome and I, i'm really happy with that um so that's one change i made just to be you know because i i found myself going into places like hotel vermont and the marriott with my tree trunk sticks and being like oh this is not going to work well on a ride symbol because it's going to freak people out um and, and it's particularly on the weddings too you know where you're playing dinner music and i just i didn't have the implement that i could use so that was one change i did make to become a little more tasteful. So, I mean, speaking of being a chameleon, I mean, it sounds like you really have to do that on the regular, especially with these jazz gigs, because you're you're talking about a lot of different. Uh, I'm sorry, with these uh, wedding gigs, yep. rather, because um, you're talking about you know a lot of different songs that cover a lot of different styles. Yeah, but also, I mean, you've done gigs in in a lot of different styles. You're, you're not just a a rock guy or just a, a jazz guy. I mean, you do. It sounds like you do. A little bit of everything. I looked back at one of my date calendars this past, you know, over the past, last summer. And I think I had one gig where I was playing like a two hour jazz gig at Hotel Vermont with like, you know, horns and, you know, and a, and a killer chick singer. And then I had the night off. And then the next night I was playing with a Western swing band, which is like mm-hmm. totally like Texas swing. Then the next night I had a, yeah. I had a date with Joe McGinnis. Uh, that's a country guy I've recorded with and played with a lot, and he's like a modern country guy. Where we're running tracks, we're running able to uh, running an iPad uh, with click and all that stuff, and the whole show is mapped out. And then I think oh, wow. I think the night after that I did a wedding, so it was like two completely different broad spectrums. And I, there might have been a blues jam in there somewhere too, you know. So it's like, yeah, you have to if you want to work, especially in a place like Burlington where there's it's not a really big place and it's it's. It's there's a lot of good players, but not a ton of work. And particularly yeah. in New York, where you know you'll walk down the street and just on that city block, there's four guys that can knock your socks off and you know play far better than you can. Um, yeah, but yeah, you have to be able to to cover all of those styles. It's so important, you know. And that's one of the reasons I'm working still is you know because if you know if somebody calls me up and said, hey. I'm doing a showcase and you know we're we're playing my show and by the way it's on click uh you know you have to have that that skill set of being able to play to a click um and not have that intimidate you I always used to say um to my students that uh if you're afraid of a click it's because you need it um which <laughs> some that resonated more with some than others um you know, but then then being comfortable with with you know reading a chart and playing a certain arrangement because that's on a track, or being in a situation where hey, you know drummer so and so bailed and I need you to come play my swing gig. All right, well you have to be able to do that convincingly, and not sound yep. like you know a rock drummer, you know who just right. happens to be playing swing and doesn't really want to be doing it. Yeah, you don't want to sound like a death metal guy, you know, imitating the uh, the old 
uh, Chips Ahoy commercial, you know, with, with Sing Sing Sing. Yeah, and you I, want to sound like you're really playing swing. Yeah, and, and I mean, one of the things I've found is that there's a lot of guys who, you know, who play, you know, metal and stuff like that, and that's kind of what they do, or they just do YouTube, you know, and you know, that's fine, but you know, you really don't get a a broad concept, you know, or a or at least a well-rounded, you know, musical being, I feel like, you know, I, you know, that's one of the things, you know, um, you know, when we played in a band together that, that I loved was that, you know, there were some rock elements, you know, then there was jazz elements. And then, you know, then because we were all freaks, you know, Hey, let's do a rush thing. And it was killer, you know? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I mean, you can still be a metal guy, and you can still be a jazz guy and appreciate all that stuff. You may not like lyrically what they say, you know, because like for me, you know, metal's yeah, metal's very angry to me sometimes. And I, you know, the vocals, I kind of like, I can't hang with some of those vocals sometimes for me, um, you know. But the drumming, fair. the drumming, a lot of people can. The drumming is killer, you know. So oh, yeah. I love that stuff. Unfortunately, my feet will have a stroke if I try to do any of that stuff. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not a great, <laughs> I'm not fast double bass stuff. I can't do that stuff. Like I, you know, I mean, I, I can, I can fake it, but, uh, I'm not convincing, but there are guys, you know, who you can hire to do that. And they do that. Oh yeah. You know, well, there are people who that's all they do. Uh, by the way, um, because our listeners aren't necessarily all musicians, do you want to just quickly explain what playing to a click means? Yeah. So, um, a when as as we come up as musicians, as you'll know, there is a device that is often presented to us um, within the first lesson or two that terrifies the living hell out of us, and that's called a metronome. And what that metronome does is gives you a steady pulse. Now, that steady pulse will not stop, and it will not speed up, nor will it slow down. And I have to play, boom, get, boom, get, boom, get, boom, get, right on that steady pulse. And what that allows us to do, in the case of somebody like Joe McGinnis, who I've been playing with for the last eight years, allows us to take certain aspects of his records and add mm-hmm. and add them to the live show, so that way, uh, say for an example, it lets it lets you put pre-recorded stuff into the show without someone there to play. Exactly. It. So, say for example, he has an acoustic part. Well, we don't have an acoustic guitar player, and we don't want to hire somebody just to play the four acoustic parts that are on four of the songs in the right. show. We'll put that on a backing track or. You know, in a lot of cases, you put different percussion and drum loops, pre-recorded mm-hmm. drum, electronic drum loops, like a tambourine or something. That'll be on a oh, sure. that'll be on a track. Um, and then, you know, in, in his situation, we don't have a piano player, so there's a couple piano yeah. piano stuff on the track. So what that means for me is that every time we play those songs in his show, the tempos have to be nailed. I cannot speed up, nor can I slow down. And I have to lock in. And what I hear on the track is I hear a click. So I hear the one. And then I hear this. One, two, three, four. 
That's my cue to start the, the, the song. Now everybody is wearing okay. everybody is wearing in ear monitors in that band. So um, if you don't know what an in ear monitor is, picture a floor wedge, which is you know floor monitor, and then turn those into little headphones that are molded to your ears, and you put them in. They're amazingly comfortable, and they're also really good at if you're on a loud stage protecting your hearing, which we'll get into a little later. Um, and so we're all wearing in-ear monitors. Um, so we can all hear the click. Nobody else in the crowd hears that click. Nobody else hears that metronome sound. Nobody else hears that steady Yeah, it's pulse. just for you. So, yeah. so we hear it. So that way, and I just pretend, you know, there are a lot of guys who have trouble playing with a click. Um, for me, you know, I just pretend it's, it, it's Jose, the imaginary percussionist playing cowbell. And I just try to... Oh, that's smart. I try to groove with it like a guy is just playing... You know, can't, 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 can't on a cowbell, um, and that's that's typically, uh, I guess that's kind of a what a click is in in a nutshell. And you know, any any major touring band you've seen in the last 20, 20 years is using definitely using clicks. Um, some more than others are using tracks, popbacks for sure. On um, they're using oh, for sure. they're yeah. using a lot of stuff is on the computer, um, and also oh, yeah. what 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 the click and and using tracks allows you to do as well is sync up any video content and a light show um, if you have mm-hmm. the means to do that. And when all of that stuff works together, it's it's killer. Have you done gigs with elaborate lights? Yeah, I did a gig. Um, there was a gig, so I. I'll give you a story of a of a crazy situation where not only did I have to have a good mindset as to playing with a click, you have to be able to read and uh, really flow in the nature of a show. Um, I have some friends who I used to teach for, um, and they ran a music school um, in Essex, Vermont. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the owner's son decided, hey, we're going to do a tribute to the Beatles. Okay, Ringo parts. All right, you can't mess that up, and you can't just improvise <laughs> that. All right. So this was, I believe, in December two years ago, I think. Um, I think it was December 2018, uh, the first one we did. Um, so he took it upon himself to write out every part Every fill, every note Ringo played on these songs. And he hands me these charts, a stack of them. And he hands me these charts and says, all right, we're going to do this. And then, you know, because the Beatles are, you know, those who have listened to the Beatles will know that it's not just four dudes with funny haircuts playing two guitars, bass, and drums. They had string, no, they had string sections. They had, they had horns. They had horns. They had everything. So, Mellotron, yeah. keyboards. So we took it upon ourselves to create every track that they did. The band ended up being 22 pieces. Um, wow. With backing tracks, including a full string section. <laughs> we had full horns. Um, myself and musical director Trevor switched off on drums because he's also a drummer. And he plays piano. And he plays bass. Oh, and by the way, he's at at the time 17 and yeah it was ridiculous <laughs> um and those videos are actually on vimeo if you want to check out it's the um the contoy school of music band beatles tribute it's on vimeo um 
and it's it's far out. Check it, it out. Yeah, it's it's insane. Um, so last summer, we were asked to headline the Champlain Valley Fair, which in Vermont that's like the biggest fair. Um, so we were on the yeah. main we were on the main stage. We had probably you know five thousand people, um, and the whole show, you know, literally in my ear, I would hear "Hard Day's Night," one, two, one, two, three, four chord. It's been a hunt, and uh, that's and everything was on a track, and though uh, not only was everything on a track, everything was now triggered with the lights, and it was on a whole Ableton setup, and we actually had a girl off stage running the computer, which was okay. far out. So I would, which was great for me because you know with Joe McGinnis, I have to run his show off an iPad, so. We'll get to an end of a song. I'll be crashing on the thing. I'll take my left hand, hit the next song. As I'm still crashing, hear the count in, boom, start the next tune. In this case, I didn't have to do that. We would just, you know, wash out, bang. You know, or if it was a tight ending, you know, we would play that as it's supposed to be. Um, and then she would start the next song, which would then trigger the lights and all that stuff. And the, you know, uh, I can't remember. The first show we had video content. The second one we didn't because we couldn't get a video screen there. The first one we did at a church and they had a video screen that we could use. Um, so that was wild. And then, Sounds like and a fun gig. It was a very fun gig, but it was a lot of pressure too because, like I said, he wrote out every chart that Ringo played and every note so I had to you know I had to learn those fills and you know I had to learn them the way they were I couldn't just go in and play twist and shout you know or yellow submarine like oh I'm just gonna play it like I do with, with the bar band I had to learn the tune you know and you know because it was a real tribute show all right so I want to move on soon but but um just before we do you know I, I know a lot of people when it comes to like playing with a click you know, there's this idea that it kind of uh, it removes the human element from the music, mm-hmm. or it uh, it prevents you from doing a more natural groove. Do you think that's true? In the beginning, it is, but after you do it for a while and you get good enough at it, where you don't notice it as much, you can totally play in and out and and kind of weave around it. Um, you know, okay. where where you know, at a point now, I can play. I can play behind it. I can play ahead of it. I can play, you know, I can play dead on it. Um, And you can control that. Yeah, absolutely. And there are times where, you know, you're on a click and you're in a situation like that and you kind of want it to feel natural. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've been on stage with a chick singer where everything will feel great and inevitably she'll say, "Mm, that was just one or two BPM too fast. And it's like, uh, okay, so I'll I'll look at the rest of the band. If I'm having an issue with her, which has happened, um, I will say, "Hey guys, I'm going on click. So no matter what she does, follow me." And you know, inevitably, once I do that, you're like, "Oh, that was perfect." Of course it was because I was on click, but I was also able to make it feel like I wasn't on click, but it sat in the pocket, which is important for vocals. Mm, cool. All right, so we've touched on the Vermont scene a little bit. Why don't you tell me about some of the stuff you've done in New York? Um, I've done a lot of ghost work uh, down there, which is kind of an interesting world. Um, I can't get. Could you just explain what that is? Yeah, so a lot of times, you know, producers want to make records sound perfect, you know, or 
there's somebody in the band kind of not cutting it, you know, drum wise, or they're in a situation where they need music for a demo or something like that. And um, so they'll hire somebody in to do it, but they won't necessarily be credited on it. They will be asked, Mm -hmm. they will be asked kindly not to advertise it, that kind of thing. Yeah. And they'll be paid very well. Um, you know, actually a friend of mine ended up playing on a Kiss record. I didn't even know it until 2003, years afterwards, being like, you were on that record? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, well, you know, they kindly asked me not to say anything, you know, because something had happened to, to Peter Chris at the time and you know, the drummer in Kiss. And um, yep. that person was Anton Fig from The Letterman Show, which I was like, wait a minute. Now, I knew he played on Freely's Comet. But I was like, wait, you played on that stuff? He goes, you know, so that's not super prevalent anymore, but I have done a handful of those things where whether they be demo sessions, um, which is essentially, um, let's say my friend Jim Smith uh, writes a song. Well, you know, he's a songwriter and he wants to get his song cut by, say, the next Keith Urban, Taylor Swift, whoever that may be. So he has to then pitch that song to a label. And we're going to... So the label will then get a group of musicians, which inevitably is so-and-so on bass, so-and-so on guitar, sometimes, and hopefully me on drums. Um, (laughs) And they get us together, and we actually record this song this person has written. That that recording we make will then be taken to the record label, pitched to those artists. There's hundreds of these songs made every year, thousands of these songs made every year. And then ultimately, you know, let's say Taylor Swift, find a song that works for her, you know, see if it's in her range, see if it's going to fit the vibe of her next record. If she records it, that's a darn good payday for that songwriter. Um, I have friends in Nashville Mm -hmm. who make livings, just writing songs for people. Um, I had a friend of mine, actually from Vermont, who wrote 15 minutes for Rodney Atkins. So that song was was recorded. Um, and I can't remember if they used his, his version or if they made a demo of it. It was pitched to Rodney Atkins. He recorded it. It went very high on the charts. And boom. Did your friend record on the song, on the the version that got released? No. So what happens is he's the writer. And so, you know, Rodney's band came in or Rodney's session musicians came in, recorded it, recorded their version. Rodney sang it, you know, sang all of, you know, his words and, and, you know, released it on his label. And yeah, I mean, he made, I don't know how much he made. He would never tell me, but he made, it, it was a very good payday. Um, I, I one friend once told me um, any song that hits number one is easily a million to two million dollars, you know, for the songwriter, and that that varies. Yeah, that yeah. that depends, you know. But I mean, yeah, I mean, gosh, you know, I mean, the person who wrote, you know, "Days Go By" by Keith Urban, you know, or the person who wrote "She's Country" by Jason Aldean, or or somebody like that in that world. You uptown know, funk i mean gosh can you imagine what the guy who wrote now mind you every time that gets played on the record 
or the, sorry, every time that time, every time Uptown Funk gets played on the radio, that songwriter makes royalties. That artist, yeah, that artist also makes royalties. And you know, there are some you know people who kind of get screwed in the in that whole world. And I'm not privy to that. I'm just the drummer, you know. But you know, uh, so you know, you have to be in the union in New York to do that. And you know, so I, I go in and I do those sessions, and it kind of depends on. You know, on, you know, a lot of the high level guys like your Anton Figs, your Sean Peltons, your Steve Gads, your Vinnie Caliutas, you know, you don't, they don't do demo sessions a lot because that work doesn't pay as much. Uh, but for a low life like me, um, I'm happy to go down there and do, do a weekend or of that. And it's a, it's a crazy environment too because, you know, you're in a room. You know, the red light goes on and time is money in the studio. And, and a lot of times I, you know, I got to be done in two takes, you know, and it, yep. you know, at least get the, you know, at least get the drums down to where, okay, they make sense. And, you know, nine times out of 10, I'm playing one of five beats, you know, and I'm going to yep. use like one of like four different stock fills and, you know, yeah. But you got to play tight. You have to play tight. You have to play tight with a click. You have to be comfortable uh, with the bass player you're working with, you know, and it's it's important to, you know, try to, you know, at least make it sound like you're all playing together. Um, you know, the, uh, I did uh, a record with a with a country pop group um, that actually did kind of well on the iTunes charts, and you know that that record, you know, I basically came in and overdubbed, you know, because they had a drum machine on it, you know, like virtual drums. And it was like two or three tunes that were kind of more country. And we're like, oh, we kind of want a real drummer. And I happened to be in, in the city that day because um, I was actually hanging at the Letterman show um, just as a guest, you know, hanging with, with, you know, Anton and Will and, you know, some of the guys I knew in the city. And, um, you know, my friend said, hey, can you come down and just track this stuff, you know, and it ended up being great songs. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it – in that case, I had to make it sound like I was playing with the band, which was yeah. I was never playing with. I was in a room by myself. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it's very easy for that stuff to start to sound sterile. Um, but if you can, you know, if you can make it sound like you played with the guys, um, that's certainly more preferable for sure than using, at least in my opinion, than using a drum loop. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, it seems like most of the technological improvements in terms of like drum machines is in making them sound more human, right? Like I know some of the, you know, like Logic and some of those programs they have like, you know, like a built-in drum module that kind of, you know, imitates feel and, and, you know, goes slightly ahead and behind the beat just to try and get that human sound. Oh, yeah. You could go into Sweetwater right now and, like, spend $1,000 on this, like, Akai, like, drum sampler thing. And it's like a keyboard. It looks like a computer keyboard. And you just hit the button and sample it, <laughs> you know. And I'll tell you, if you get good, there are guys who get so good at that and so good at drum programming that, like, you would think it's a record. Like, actually, I I do know an artist that will remain nameless that I just did a record with. And two or three songs, 
were actually done with a drum loop. Like, a, like makes it sound like acoustic drums, but it was done with a drum loop, you know, for re- mm-hmm. you know reasons beyond my control. And I'll tell you what, you don't even, it's very hard to tell. Like, I would actually have to tell you, like, oh, by the way, this is not actually a real drummer. Yeah, no, it has come a long way for sure. It really, it really has. It's amazing. So, um, do you do mostly session work in in New York? Do you do mostly recording, or do you do gigs as well? Well, there is Broadway down in New York, and that's that's a that's a whole another world. Um, you know, I, I've subbed on a few shows down there, and it's. It's crazy. I mean, you know, the stuff you're reading. Um, you know, actually, I just did a, uh, I just did a whole project um, with a really close friend of mine. Um, his wife, and actually, my best—he was one of my best friend's parents. Um, just did a remake of a, a very—I don't even know if it's a remake. I think it's actually her original, you know, concept um, on Pinocchio. So she wrote okay. she wrote all the music and had me come down to help her. She's actually a classical harpist. Um I mean one of the best in the country. Um and her husband Does she play with orchestras? She plays with orchestras in city in the city and then Okay. And then oh, her wow. husband, my friend's dad, has He's had the lead French horn chair at Phantom of the Opera since it opened in 1988. Yeah, that's third. Oh, wow. That's 32 years of that show. So mm-hmm. they're prolific uh, musicians and wonderful, wonderful people. Anyhow, <coughs> excuse me. She had me come down and help her. You know, because she's a harper. She doesn't know drums. You know, how, you know, help her come up with some parts. And how do you write this? How do you write that? Um. So I went down and I, I helped her out with that. And, you know, again, we came up with, you know, the first thing I went to, was we came up with simple grooves, simple beats that made sense, you know. Um, and, of course, they had to make sense with the plot of the story, you know. Um, so I just, you know, and because I'm not necessarily a big musical guy, you know, this stuff really wasn't on my radar even two, two three years ago. Um, I just kind of approached it like a rock thing. I approached it like a regular session where it's like, okay, well, I have to come up with a beat here. I have to come up with a beat that A, will not stink, B, will work in the context of the tune, and D, make sure that it's going to flow well uh, and not start to sound clunky, you know, something that something that you would think would belong there. So... She, uh, you know, one, we, we, in about two days, we finished kind of all the drum parts. And there were even some stuff where I said, look, drum set's not going to work here. Let's, let's do a percussion thing, you know. Let's, um, you know, maybe I'll just play, maybe I'll just play this with the shaker, you know, just. And that, that worked perfect, you know, for, for that one pass. So uh, last September, uh, we finally got all the music together to go and record it. Um, okay. And so I drive down to New Jersey. So I drive down to New York uh, and I stay with them. You know, when I get to New York, you know, the brakes on my car are going out. So it's like, oh, geez, I have to think about that, you know. And uh, I managed to, you know, fit in a lesson or two down there. I went and taught a lesson, you know, and then hung out with, with some friends. And 
So the next day we, we, we go down to the studio and it takes me forever to find this place. I walk into the studio and there's the bass player from that tours of blood, sweat and tears. And I'm like, all right, this is going to be a good day. Um, and then, wow. and then the piano player that was there, we just recorded rhythm. The piano player that was there was the piano player at Aladdin on Broadway. So I'm like, these guys are killer. So, you know, I, oh, I get in the drum booth, hands me the charts that I, I helped her write. And, you know, we, we tracked this stuff and, you know, we got the whole, I, I think, you know, I think we got, ha- I, I played on half of it because yeah, it didn't make sense to hire me to go back down there again to do the other half. So, you know, I played on half of half of the recordings um, and we did it all in, you know, a day. Yeah. A full day, you know, with lunch in between and, you know, and, and it sounds fantastic. Um, so hopefully, you know, that goes somewhere, but you know, that, that's just a, you know, that was another situation where I really had to like, okay, I need to be really mindful of, of the drum parts. I, I try to, uh, come up with here. So this is a show that's set to open at some point down in New York, you know, with the way th- things are going right now, um, you know, yeah, it, I know there's some uncertainty about it, everything. It's tough to say, you know, um, I mean, how many shows will open after we come out of this? It's hard to say. Um, before uh, the world ended, <laughs> uh, it was being pitched. So, okay. you know, um, they have to get involved with producers and lawyers and all this other stuff. And, and it's, you know, I would imagine it's a big process. It's a big to do way, way higher than my pay grade. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, they, they get that done. And, and once that's together, you know, then they can go about, and it's a big process to get something like that, especially when you don't have backing, you know, like one of my good friends plays at, at Lion King and, you know, I'll tell you, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough, you know, because, you know, you know, that show had Disney to help it, you know, be created. So it was, that was a no brainer. Plus everybody knew the movie, you know? Um, oh yeah. I had, a, I had, a, I have a couple friends and it was a huge, huge hit and yeah, the movie was too. I have so a couple friends was... who was playing, who were playing at frozen until unfortunately because of what's going on now, that actually has been a victim to COVID-19. Um, for those who don't know, the show Frozen on Broadway has been canceled. It's gone. It's done. It will not reopen. Um, so unfortunately, those people those people have to find new gigs. Which it's tar- first of all, a it's hard to find a Broadway gig, and it's even mm-hmm. harder to find a Broadway gig that is your chair. For those who don't know, <laughs> right. for those who listening who don't know, when you work on Broadway, there's eight shows a week. So you're doing eight shows a week unless you have a list of five or more subs that come in and sub. Um, and I've subbed on a few shows here and there, not many because you know I'm not down there all the time. I'm in, I am in the union, but I'm not down there all the time. And usually it's kind of like, oh, my wife. They need my wife wants. They need someone who can come right away. My right? wife, like if there's yeah, an emergency. Exactly. My wife wants to have dinner tonight, so I have to take the show off. Okay, we're gonna call Michael, who's first on the list. He's in town. Right, he'll cover. You know, and, and also you need to know the show. You know, so I mean, I've gone in and done some reading. Yeah, I've course. gone in and done some readings um, on various shows, but 
um, you know, or or just subbed once or twice, you know, where I site read it or, or really learned it and got through it. Um, you know, but again, I mean, you know, those are very, very coveted gigs. Um, but because I'm not down there, you know, I'm not on a huge sub list. All right, so let's turn to the elephant in the room. We've already started to address it a little bit, but COVID-19, for those who don't know, and no such person exists, there's a little bit of a pandemic in our world, and it's kind of changed everything. So I I want you to to tell me a little bit about how this has uh, affected your life, because I I know it has. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, I played my last gig on March 12th, I invited a friend of mine to come out, and he basically said, there is no way in hell I'm going to a bar right now. And I was kind of like, that's kind of when it hit me, like, oh, shit, this is going to be it for a while. I, I You yeah. know, and it's funny. We all gave each other hugs after the gig, and we're like, I don't know when we're going to see each other again, but that's that. Um, and then I basically came home that night, took the drums out of the car, brought them up into my studio, and we're like, I was like, all right, let's see what happens. Lo and behold, two days later, the governor said, you ain't going nowhere, and neither is anybody else. And everything shut down. I lost all my lessons. I lost every gig I had. Um, I had to try to finagle the unemployment system, and and I had to hope Donald Trump would send me some money, which, in case anybody's wondering, which I do appreciate, he finally did. So, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it was... Yeah, unemploy- the unemployment thing was, was rough. I mean, I, I know a lot of people... It became like a full-time job just trying to get their unemployment. I'll tell you what, I was really jealous of you up there in Canada because, you know, you know, not to get too political, but the U.S. doesn't have a great system in place no, for, some, for something like this, especially no. when you're a for-hire gig worker like many of us in the music business. Um, that it, it, It's rough for people like that in Canada as well, yeah. just so you know. Well, it's, that's, it's, that makes it's me been feel- hard. It's been hard on... On, on artists as well. That makes me feel, that it does make me feel better. Thankfully, um, as far as healthcare is concerned, um, I get my health insurance through the union, so it's good. Uh, well, and, that's and, good. And that's what the good thing about the New York union is. For those of you who don't know, I'll tra- backtrack to that a little bit. The union is basically an extremely large group of musicians in New York that have chosen to... Which union is it, by the way? What's the name of the union? It's Local 802. Um, it's, the mu- it's, okay. it's the New York Musicians Union. Um, and the, okay. the union book is like that. It's huge. Um, you know, there's got to be probably, God, 5,000 of us on there. But anyway, um, wow. basically what that does is it makes sure that you have, you know, if you do enough shows, which I haven't done even close to, um, you get a pension, you know, after you're 65, okay. you know, you can get your health insurance. You can make sure that you're, wow. you know, it's it's basically, you know, it's it's a union for musicians as if you were you know, in a construction union or something, you know, it's, it's, you know, or, 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 you know, and, yeah. And what kind of musicians are eligible to join? Um, I mean, if you want to pay your dues, you can join, um, it, you know, ultimately it makes sense. Yeah. I, you know, that's a good question. I don't really know if there's like, you know, limitations to be honest with you. Um, I just, hmm. I just knew that when I started doing enough work down there, it made sense for me to, to join. Um, I think anybody, like I think any musician can join. It's just you know you're limited to certain work if you don't. You know what I mean? It's worth it's worth paying the dues for you. The two hundred, it's two hundred and twenty a year, and it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Yeah, 
You know, because first of all, well, think- you know, if if you do enough work, um, you know, you'll get a pension after a while. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, there there is a such thing as union scale down there, um, and it does vary here and there. But I mean, generally, you know, you're getting, you know, I think the last number my friend gave me was, you know, you're getting maybe a hundred fifty grand a year for a Broadway show if you do every show. I think that equates to like three hundred a show or two eighty or something in there, you know. But that's that's every day, and you know, you you yeah. know. When I was doing that stuff, you 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 take the train in and you you go do it, and then you you know you're taking the late train home, and yeah, nobody's driving in. You know, you take the the, the commuter trains. Um, but yeah, I mean, all of that work for all of us literally dried up in the middle of March, and yeah, immediately nobody's done anything. So I've had to really kind of get my shit together with my home studio because people still wanted to make records, and. I'm sure. all, I'm all about that. I I want to make all the records, um, but nobody's. I mean, I went back into it's you know, as we're recording this, it's it's June. You know, the middle of you know, this will probably come out. I don't know when it'll come out, but as we're recording this, it, it is the beginning of June. I did my first studio session since the middle of March, at a place not my house, um, last week. So I mean, yeah, we yep. we literally went, you know, for a really long period of time with literally no work. Vermont has actually started to open up some gigs, you know, outdoor gigs. So, I mean, that may, that may come, but all my weddings. Yeah. Cause Vermont, Vermont has had relatively low case numbers. Vermont was actually one of the first States to start reopening, uh, like retail shops. And as Vermont is a little bit ahead of the curve, as of this recording uh, of, of us recording this, I believe we are, like not even the 900 cases yet and maybe 50 people yeah. have died contrast to new york city uh, contrast to, to new york um where it's quite a bit I think more it, i think it might be 60 70 60 yeah, i mean it's, it's, it's pretty all right it's pretty low it's under 100 now in for any state right now that's flipping brilliant to be under 100 yeah you know so yeah i mean listen one death is too many but ultimately if we can start getting back to normal life that would be ideal. And, you know, I mean, yes, one one death is too many, but you also don't want the, uh, you know, the cure to be worse than the disease. And, you know, we have 40 million people in this country unemployed, so we've got to start doing something smart. We have to be smart about it. So that means, you know, going yep. out and wearing your mask and, you know, trying not to, you know, hug and kiss everybody, you see. But, yeah, it's a, it's you a know, delicate balance. It is. Act. It is. But stuff is starting to open up. So in this time, I really had to get my stuff together with my home studio. So I've had a bunch of friends um, emailing me tracks. So, you know, what will happen is, they, hey, I want drums on this. And sometimes they're really anal. Uh, I want every note this way. Okay, well, I'll try to do that for you. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll, <laughs> mo- most of the time, you know, it's it's be you. I'm hiring you to be you. Um Sure. You know, and I do it just like I did in the studio. So, um, yeah, I have, you know, I have my Persona Studio Live mixer and, and I have, you know, uh, my, uh, you know, Logic Pro setup, um, and, you know, that I'm recording on now for this with you. And 
uh, in case anybody knows, we are not in the same room. Joe is in Canada. I'm in the U.S. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it's... We're talking over Zoom. It's Yeah. And, I mean, God, can you imagine how much Zoom is making right now? Boy, oh, boy. Well, guy who, oh, yeah. The guy who invented that has got to be a bazillionaire now. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's been, it's been you know, yeah, I'm doing this now. <laughs> so, when do you anticipate gigging coming back? Boy. And, and becoming something that you can start to you know, make money off again. Boy, that, that's really hard to say. Um, you know, my, my hope is, uh, it'll come back sooner than later. Um, but God, it needs to be, you know, you need to be able to have gatherings again. And I don't know when that'll be, you know, you need to be able to like hang out with people, you know, like, yeah, I've had my first, three weddings in june move to next year august still might happen september still might happen hard to say it's kind of all up to the governor at this point on what's allowed um mm-hmm. you know i mean gosh you know your guess is as good as any you know as good as mine i guess yeah it's it's literally impossible to say it's 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 gonna be, you know, so it's gonna be when it, it's gonna be what it is. So I had to make the transition to to recording at home and, you know, being a YouTube drummer or an Instagram drummer, which you know I kind of, I've kind of always looked down on that stuff, you know, um, just because you know a lot of the guys you see on, on YouTube and Instagram, playing way more chops than are ever needed in any song, you know, those <laughs> those are typically the guys who aren't working. And those are typically sure. to, those are typically the guys who you see who are just playing in their basement. Um, yeah. And there are actually drummers who are legitimately famous and have endorsement deals by doing that. It's kind of and they don't gig. It, they, and they and and I know that there is no way in hell they have done any gigs because the minute you show up and play like that on a gig is the minute that the artist I'm playing with will literally turn around and say, I'm going to play this show without drums tonight. I, I have actually seen guys. I actually got a, <laughs> I actually got a cold call from a guy once. Like he got my Facebook number or something like that. He goes, Hey man, I, you know, I really, okay. I really want to sub for you, you know, with, with Joe McGinnis. And I said, all right, well, you know, first of all, a, I don't know you. I know nothing of your person. <laughs> I know nothing of your personal character. So I have no idea if you're going to be a dick on this gig or if you're just, you know, I'm like, all right, well, let me, let me see what you, he, the, the stuff he sent me is just like him chopping over like this country tune. And I'm like, man, if you showed up and did that at sound check, he would turn around and be like, I don't know what you're smoking, but I'm not doing this tonight with you because uh, yeah, I mean, he would rather he would he would rather take a hit on pay, and play an acoustic, than play with a guy who's playing like that. So you know, I mean, you know, you kind of have to, you know, be careful with with what you see online. You know, in 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 regard to, you know, guys who are playing on YouTube and Instagram. You know, guys who call themselves you know, learn you know, uh, teaching gurus. Uh, you know. There, there's, you know, there is one platform on YouTube that will, I again, you and I agree not to name names, but, you know, where this, where the CEO, you know, the CEO of the platform, you know, says, 
don't work on your weaknesses, which if you're Steve Gadd or Jojo, what? if you're if you're Steve Gadd or Jojo Mayer, that's one thing. But one kid sees that, they're going to be screwed. They're going to be screwed. Don't 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 work on your weaknesses. Don't work on your weaknesses. I actually saw him post that, and it's also you know the platform that says, you know, get fast, uh, learn to play faster in ten days. Yeah, okay, because I've gotten gigs from playing faster. You know, the faster I play, the more right. gigs I get. You know, so I mean, you know, sure. I would certainly caution anybody, you know, listening to this. You know, just be careful of of who you're seeing on YouTube, and and you know, a lot of the guys that are great YouTube drummers are are the guys who are like posting, you know, drum cams from their from their concerts. You know, and posting, you know, um which I try to do or you know, posting drum covers in a sense that um you know, you're you're at least serving the song, you know, I I just can't hang with a drum cover that, you know, is like doing stick tricks and bouncing basketballs off bass drums and you know, playing with fire and stuff like that. I just, I just think it's kind of interesting, <laughs> but like, but, but it's funny because that that's where this business is kind of starting to go. So, you know, we, we shall see going online and going away from gigging and more toward showing off on YouTube and Instagram. Is that what you're saying? A little bit, a little bit. Like I said, that uh, there are guys who are legitimately famous, famous on YouTube. I mean, you have endorsements of every company and getting signature products released who I've never seen play a gig and and show me absolutely no facility that they know how to play a gig. Again, that you know, that that's provided they, they show me what's on their YouTube channel, but the way I've seen them play, I would have a hard time believing that they're actually out there working. Um, you know, but mm. it, it's just interesting, you know, so I'm really hoping gigging comes back, um, and tours. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, Oh, I think it will eventually it's, I, it's, it's bound to at some point. I'm sure it will, but it's just like how many people are going to end up just leaving the music biz before that happens and, and not have any incentive to go back. Like it's more a, a worry of like how long is it going to take to rebuild and how, how completely will, will it be possible to rebuild? Yeah. You know, boy, you know, there's so much that has to happen, you know, health wise and politically for that to happen. Um, but I also think that people are pretty resilient and when you throw people on house arrest or isolation for long enough, they're going to want to come out and they're going to want to come out and see live music because they haven't seen it in six months. And, you know, once, once it is deemed safe and once the people that actually want to go out again, see it, I think it's very possible that the bar scene is going to be hopping. Um, you know, and and, and probably will be, it's going to be hopping again, once it's safe to do that, you know, and it may be, it may be a year. You know, before we yeah, we were start doing might. this full fledged, I think outdoor gigs will come. You know, and and it's funny too because you know here in Vermont, generally winters are pretty light here. You know, for for the good paying gigs or you know a lot of the club yeah. gigs. Uh, excuse me, winters are pretty light. You know, I do like one massive corporate event in January. You know, uh, in Montreal, and that's about it. You know, I you know mm-hmm. with a couple club gigs here and there. 
You know, I'm not doing the, the, the five gigs a week like I am in the summertime sometimes. Yeah. Well, hopefully it comes back sooner than later. You know, I, I boy, you know, we don't know anything. So, yeah, it, it's tough to speculate, but. Well, while at the same time recognizing, I, I you know, I don't want to rush back prematurely, of course. But, you know, it's it's like with everything. Hopefully, hopefully we can uh, yeah. return to some some remember, sort of normalcy and get you guys working again. I remember seeing something. I can't remember who said it, if it was Dr. Fauci or somebody saying, well, you know, the virus doesn't spread as well outside as we thought it does. So maybe that might open the door to, you know, to at least playing, you know, like outdoor gigs, you know, whether it be, that is what I'm starting to hear, you know, you know, I think it'll be a while before we're inside bars again. You know, but at some point you got to open those back up, you know, so those businesses don't close. But again, it's it's again that's way above my pay grade, and it's hard to say what'll actually happen with that. That's hard to say. It's true. I have heard that that uh, the virus doesn't spread as much outside. Um, but yeah, bar gigs. That's that's gonna be a while, especially during the winter. Um, yeah. Which is when, which is when you tend to have the most, uh, which is when you tend to have people inside all the time, mm-hmm. and that's also when you know that that's flu season. That's probably when coronavirus is going to be at its worst. So, yep. You know, until we have a vaccine, it's going to be touch and go. Yeah, I think you know the other, especially for indoor stuff. You know, the other the other way it might go is you know is the total opposite, where you know it may go the way of like you know. SARS and you know the bird flu and all that stuff and you know where it kind of you know starts to decrease a little bit you know as as more people get it and become immune so it's it's you know hard to say it's so hard to say it's so hard to say I mean again way above my pre grade I'm just a dumb drummer who like I'm just happy to have any gigs <laughs> so you know but yeah. I mean until that happens I'll be in my studio recording stuff so you know I mean it'll you know it's hard to say, but I will still be here making music, you know, playing drums and, and people are, you know, are always going to be making records of some kind anyway. So you will overcome, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I know in New York, you know, we got through nine eleven, and you know, they'll get through this, you know, at least here in Vermont, it's, it's been, you know, way of life here really hasn't changed that much other than, you know, now the constant mask wearing and, you know, being stuck at home for like two months. Um, but I mean, life here yeah. is still pretty normal. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be longer before New York returns to normalcy in some of the more hard hit areas. Oh but yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. You're right. I would imagine Vermont is, uh, again, I think Vermont lucked out relatively low case numbers. I think Vermont also shut down pretty early and that definitely helped i like i said i played my last gig march 12th and i gotta believe like the governor shut everything right down like right around then so yeah not long after that it wasn't it wasn't long you know and and we all kind of had a feeling like wow i'm surprised i'm playing a gig tonight and then they pulled the plug you know pretty much right after that so that was the end of that All right, man. I think uh, you feeling you feeling the end coming. I, I, the end of our interview. I think we I think we would call it there. But 
But I do want to let everybody know that um, I still have copies of the Make Every Day Your Banquet Terravada record that everybody should go out, <laughs> everybody should go and buy um, because that was a, a, a very fun part of my career uh, that I got to play music with you. And this interview has been an amazing uh, part of that legacy as well. So um, thank yeah, you for having me, man. It's, up. it's been great. It's been awesome. It's been really fun. All right. Take care, man. Thanks, buddy. <laughs>